I think we are all our toughest critics. You know, we speak to ourselves in a way that we would never speak to anyone else, like a friend, a family member. And I think at those times that all I did was beat myself up and like wonder why I was so sad and like felt so out of sorts. So I think the main key thing would be like, you need to find ways to be kinder to yourself, like mentally, physically, and emotionally. Emily Abadi here, bringing you episode 153 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect a vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am so amped understatement to be chatting with Emily DiDonato. Beyond being my personal style inspiration and a model, <laughs> Emily is the founder of a new skincare brand called Covey, as well as a body positivity advocate. In today's episode, we chat about her journey to self-acceptance and the roller coaster that was getting into modeling after being scouted in a Connecticut mall. She talks to me about struggling with her size early on, spending hours on end at the gym and eating apple slices, trying to be quote unquote, the right fit. She details one hurdle moment in particular with a makeup artist and a stylist on set that changed everything, empowering her to do away with restrictive behavior and embrace her body, empowering others to do the same. She talks me through the evolution of her career, including big, big, big opportunities with companies like Maybelline and Chanel and Giorgio Armani, and how she even got into the skincare game, which as an owner of a small business, she is finding to be super exciting. We also talk about content creation. She has a thriving TikTok and Instagram account, uh, New York City living, her go-to fitness routine. So, so much goodness in this episode. And also huge thank you to M and her team at Covey. Covey is a three-step derm-approved universal skincare ritual, and we are coming together to offer Hurdle listeners 10% off on what they refer to as their Covey routine. Just head on over to CoveySkin.com. That's C-O-V-E-Y-S-K-I-N.com and use the code Hurdle at checkout for 10% off today. Thanks so much, y'all. Before I get into today's episode, I do want to give some love to one of my sponsors, Baron Fig. Now, journaling is one of the things in my life. It just, it brings me back to calm, especially, especially lately when it feels like work is just spiraling and I am living on street easy and I'm trying to find an apartment and all the things. And science co-signs that it is good for our mental health and that the practice of journaling can be super great for our mental wellness. But are you getting in your own way because you don't know where to start? 
Well, Baron Figs got you covered. Their line of guided edition journals is a must have to jumpstart your journaling practice. I am not even exaggerating. I probably use at least three different Baron Fig products a day, including their clear habit journal, their squire pen, and a confidant notebook. I love the notebooks because not only do they feel smooth, which I know is like a super silly thing to point out, but they look super cute lined up on the shelf and they make me excited just to write things down. Of course, you knew this was coming. They've got a great deal for all of you. Head on over to baronfig.com and use the code HURDLE20 to snag 20% off their guided edition journals today, which include my favorite, as I mentioned, the Clear Habit Journal, but also so many other picks to help walk you through things like meditation, organization, and logging your best recipes. Again, the website baronfig.com, that's B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com. Use code hurdle 20 at checkout to receive 20% off your first purchase of a guided edition journal. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle over on social media. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I'm over at Emily Abadi. I would love it, love it, love it if you would take just a quick moment, click on into the show notes and click to subscribe to the weekly Hurdle newsletter. It's a labor of love, something that I've really loved putting together over the last year. In there, I'm connecting about things that are going on in my life. I'm offering you tips and tricks to embrace a healthier and happier wellness practice of your own, as well as my content picks, things that I'm digging right now, and so much more. And bonus, it's free to subscribe. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Emily DiDonato. She is a model. She's also the co-founder of Covey, newly launched. How are you doing, Em? Hi, I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm super excited, too. Okay, I have a, I have a confession. I'm going to okay. call out <laughs> one of my best friends right off the bat here. Kara was so geeked. We send each other your Instagram style videos because we're both working on our style game. Oh my God. And when this inbox, when this email landed in my inbox, like, you should chat with Emily DiDonato. And I was like, um, no brainer. <laughs> Will she come here and get me dressed first? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm also always working on my style game, but I, I feel really flattered that that was helping anyone at all. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I love about your style is that it's just like, I feel like as a woman, I'm in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. Is Okay, 32 is early 30s. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I feel like sometimes you're like, am I in my mid 30s? No. Okay. <laughs> as a woman in my early 30s, I just feel like you've got the basics on lock. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going for. Em. That's always what I'm going for as well. Like trends come and go. I'm like, I'm all about mastering the basics in all things in life. I'm like, how th- I need this to look good now. And I need it to look good in 10 years from now. Like what's going <laughs> to work. I'll play with trends a little, but like, you don't want to be a fashion victim. You know, you don't want to be a fashion victim. Now no. you say that now, but <laughs> we're going to get into your backstory. I know that growing up, you have said before that you didn't really feel like you had any strong sense of style. So talk to me about talk to me about growing up in upstate New York and what that was like for you. Yeah. I mean, I grew up like an hour and a half north of Manhattan and 
it was like a working class town, a lot of commuters. It wasn't a fashion forward town. I'll tell you that people always think because I'm from New York, they're like, oh, you must have went to the city all the time. I'm like, no, that was just not the case. We didn't do that. So my fashion inspiration, you know, it was slim. I just wore, I went through every single phase that I think now we're all millennials, you know, Ugg boots and many layers of tank tops and many skinny jeans. Like I did all the millennial things. Um, and my, I wouldn't say that I even started focusing on my style and actually really trying to develop personal style until I got closer to 30, where I was like, wait, I actually like want to find out, like identify what my key pieces are. What's my wardrobe? What it, what's the go-to, how do I look put together at all times? And like, what does that look like for me? Okay. So before I keep diving into your backstory, the next follow-up question would be what are the key pieces? So I think for me, it's like, you have to find like your denim for me, like finding the perfect piece of denim, like what it is. I just buy the exact same jeans in multiple colors because I'm not about experimenting and finding my jean, my silhouette, like figure out what that is a really great blazer. For me, it's also like really great flattering body suits, like basic colors, blacks, whites, neutrals. And I always invest in accessories. So belts, bags, and shoes. I think if you're going to invest in something like those really great basics, I think are key. I know, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but you are big on the body positivity movement. So Mm -hmm. when I hear you talk about finding your Goldilocks pair of jeans, I would be remiss if I didn't say that as someone who has certainly been up and down on the scale, been all over the place with Mm -hmm. her weight, even now feeling really confident and happy in my body, I still have this like mind block when it comes to buying good jeans. Did you ever Mm -hmm. struggle with that? Oh my God. Like even going into a dressing room to this day, like gives me energy that I just do not need or want. Like, yeah, I think finding the perfect pair of jeans is hard. Also, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I tailor some of my jeans too, to make sure that they fit like really, really perfectly. Also a really great investment of just time and energy. But yeah, also like post pandemic or like where we are right now, I'm like, my jean size is different now. My silhouette is different now. Like what I used to wear like two years ago now is like so different. And even coming to terms with that is not easy, even as someone who like, I really try to embrace like where my body's at, you know, where are we at in the world? Like, where am I at at emotionally? Like my size is going to change and fluctuate, but you're still like, well, damn, I'm not 27 anymore. What the heck? Damn. Oh my God. I remember the first time that I learned like 27, 28, 29, 30, et cetera, like what all of those sizes meant. And I was like, I had enough struggle when I was younger, like dealing with a 16 and now you're going to double that on me. I know. And then when I go on like shopping on Netaport or something and I'm like a size like 14 in the UK, I'm like, you know what? Just Jesus. 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 Okay. So growing up about an hour and a half north of New York City in upstate New York, I know that when you were, was it 16 or 17? That's when a model scout found you in a Connecticut mall. Yes, that is correct. So I was scouted in a mall in Connecticut. And then shortly after that, I signed with an agency in New York. And then that my modeling career picked up like pretty quickly after that. I was working like within a week of being signed with Ralph Lauren. And then, yeah, my life changed like very, very quickly. When you were younger, did you envision being a model? Were you the kind of girl that had the magazines at home? Did you cut out the pictures and make a vision board? Like, where were you at? 
I wouldn't call it a vision board, but I definitely did. I liked fashion um, and I liked the glamour of fashion, I would say. Like I cut out all the pieces. Like I remember all of my binders and notebooks were like plastered with like covers and ads. Like I loved that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't say that I was thinking of it as a vision board then, but maybe now actually it kind of was. It actually never reflected on that. But like, you know, growing up, people would tell me that I should be a model and stuff like that. But I feel like I wasn't someone who was like, that's not information that you take and like run with. And you're like, you know what? You're right. Let me just go be a model. Like I was, I had no idea how to even begin with that kind of journey. Like it was just like a really great compliment. But then when I was scouted, you were, I was like, very interested in that opportunity. And, you know, I was kind of like, I didn't know where I was at in my life. I was supposed to be applying to colleges. I was applying to colleges. All of my friends were like, we were in that zone when this was picking up for me. So I had to make a tough decision. Like, was I going to go away to college? Was I going to pursue this full time? So obviously I made the decision to pursue it full time, um, which I'm glad that I did, but I didn't know if it was the right decision at the time for sure. Of course, of course. I mean, it's a big decision, especially to take on at that age. For you, aside from being a little overwhelmed, where were your parents at with this decision? I felt like I have to give my parents props. I feel like they did a good job being as neutral as possible. Like, and, you know, my parents didn't go to college. My brother did. So, like, they weren't like, this is absolutely, you must do this in order to survive, like go away to school. I feel like maybe some other families or parents would be like, this is the only way. Um, and I think they were excited that I was excited by the opportunity, but they really did let me steer that ship. Um, and, but it, it, it had its downfalls, you know, like when I first moved to Manhattan and I, all my friends were away at college and I'm going to age myself by saying this, but it was when Facebook was getting really big and everyone was posting albums of like every single minute of their nights. And I remember being like, wow, I'm like alone in New York city and like studio apartment, like getting ready to go to work tomorrow. And all of my friends are like raging their faces off at college. Like, I don't know if I made the right decision. I feel really lonely and confused. Um, But like I said, of course, like reflecting now, you're like, no, it's good. Good decision. Good decision. First impressions when you moved to New York, what was that experience like for you? Where were you? Where were you living? Yeah, I I moved. um, So when I first moved to New York, I moved down into like the Soho Greenwich Village area. And I was like in the heart of NYU, which I thought that was a smart decision because I was like, oh, I'll be around kids my age. Well, if you don't really have any common classes or ways to like talk to all these college kids. Like I found it really hard to make friends and make connections. And, you know, moving to New York as a model, like you do get a lot of inbound, like people wanting to like hang out with you or connect, but they're not necessarily like the best people I would say. Also as a model, you know, I would go to work, but you rarely see see the same face twice. Meaning you'd go to work and meet someone great, but you know, you're freelance. Like I would work with different people almost every day. So I wasn't really having like this consistency to make new friends or like create deep relationships. Eventually I started to like a year or two later, you know, you meet like one person who knows a lot of people who's like a great connector or, you know, you start socializing more. My first year or two here, I would say was incredibly lonely. It's a tough place to like connect with people. I would say, even though there's so many people here. Good on you to know enough to strategically choose who you spent your time with because on that note of just like it's easy to get sucked into the wrong crowds Mm -hmm. I mean I remember my first couple of years in New York just like 
I would give my phone number to like one girl or one guy that I didn't know that well. And then suddenly I was on like 14 different club promoter lists. <laughs> yes. Yes. And exactly. I would show up and I'd be like, this person wants to be my friend. And then I'm like, I don't necessarily always want to be at a club until 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. Like maybe I need friends that don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, I definitely use that to my advantage only, like in very, very specific moments where I was like, I have all my friends in town from home and I'm going to take them out for a really good time and their minds are going to be blown. Definitely did that. But otherwise, no, I was not the one like going. It, it just gave me the heebie-jeebies and it, it rightfully so. You know, I kind of trusted my gut. I was like, I don't think this like man who just approached me in Union Square Park like genuinely wants to get to know me and like create this beautiful <laughs> friendship. And just something it's is beautiful. activating. <laughs> this beautiful friendship. <laughs> it's so funny too, because I know, I mean, there are certainly a fair share of listeners that are, uh, that have this in their AirPods and they're listening from New York City. But for those that, that don't live here and have never had that experience, it's really just like you show up somewhere and you don't pull out your wallet at all. And all of a sudden there are just mm -hmm. drinks and people, I mean, obviously pre-COVID, but drinks and people and like it just, it all happens. And all of a sudden there's like flashing lights and you're in a club and you don't even remember how you got there. Like it's a whole thing. Totally. It's a very overwhelming experience for sure. Like you're really taking me back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed a moment to personally reflect on this time where like this was even an opportunity for us. Yes, exactly. So I'm, glad, I'm glad we exchanged this mutual new to New York promoter text cycle and now we can move past it. Exactly. Now we can move past it. Okay. But you're in New York and you're, you're working more jobs, but you're feeling really alone. And I would imagine as a relatively new model in the space that that also opens up the door to having and then navigating a lot of perhaps dangerous thoughts. Talk to me about the mental side of getting into modeling. When I first started in the industry, I mean, even still, it's a very competitive industry for sure. And I think I came into it with the same competitive spirit that I kind of had my whole life in the sense I grew up playing sports and I made this huge decision to not go to college. And I think I felt a lot of pressure to make this decision work. Like, I think I was like, this has to work out. You know, I don't want to go home with my tail between my legs. I don't even know if going to school at this point's an option. I, you know, you're, I was 17, 18. Like I was just like, this has to work out for me. So when I first moved to Manhattan, it was the the first time that I've really been away from my family, away from the structure of school, sports, like a normal teenage life. And, you know, when I first moved here and things, I said that th I started working like very early on, but I wanted more, you know, I was doing like specific jobs and it was enough for me to say, yes, I'm going to pursue this full time. But I wanted to be like at the top of my game. I wanted to be like top 100 models in the world, like all of those things. I wanted to be super successful. And I think the dangerous thoughts for me or habits started coming in because first of all, I was spending so much time alone. I was alone all the time, living alone, not a lot of friends. And I was basically putting so much pressure on myself to be successful and make this career work. And I started picking up super unhealthy habits that I think if I was living with another person or a parent, they would be like, Emily, you're acting really strange. Like stop going to the gym for like three hours a day and only allowing yourself to eat like apples. It's a little weird, but I was alone and like walking around the city constantly. And I think I just was like, 
if I'm going to be successful, that means I have to be thin and, you know, I want to make money. And that also means that I have to be thin. Um, so I just made that my only goal in life and I put all of my energy into that. Um, and it paid off in the sense that I did get extremely thin, but I also got extremely miserable. So <laughs> kind of yeah. didn't work out. Didn't yeah. work out. And I would imagine the the concept of I can just eat apples and go to the gym for three hours at a time. Like you have all of this newfound independence and this is like mm -hmm. the one thing that you can take control over. But when there's no one almost to call you out on your bullshit, as I think a lot of people struggled over this past year, mm -hmm. it can certainly become a little bit toxic. So for you, how long were you in, would you say, this kind of pattern before the straw broke the camel's back? Yeah, I would say like maybe like the first six to eight months that I was living in the city, I really was going like all the way, putting all my effort into that. And that's when, um, but I definitely had kind of a moment where I came to and was like, this isn't, this actually is not worth it. I'm actually lucky that I was even able to have that moment for myself now that I look back on it. Talk to me about that moment. Do you remember any details about it? Yeah, I just remember, I, I remember I was like so irritable and miserable. And I was like, I remember there were like two things that happened that I was like, hey, this is, this is so bad. I like snapped at my mom who like came down to visit me because I was just like so irritable and like in this zone, in this space where I was like very isolated. Um, and then I think one of the other key, key moments for me was I went to work for this brand that I worked with for a very long time um, since the beginning of my career. Like they were one of my first clients, call it. And I had gotten very thin and two people approached me, um, a, a model and a makeup artist. And they were like, hey, you like don't look look well are you okay and I remember being like yeah I'm like fine like what do you mean like I'm you know I was kind of like what like isn't this what you guys do like I'm thin now <laughs> like I'm just trying to work and like be successful and then after shortly after that I remember my agency said to me like oh you know people didn't think that you looked very good or very healthy they're concerned for you and if you continue in this direction like they don't know if they're going to want to keep working with you and I remember I was like are you kidding me I've been putting like all of this work and effort and time into like looking this way. And now people are, are not only saying that I don't look good, they're saying that they might not want to continue working with me. That was kind of my breakthrough moment where I was like, all right, this isn't moving the needle, clearly. Um, people don't think I look good. It's hurting my career. I thought this was going to help. And I kind of just in that moment actually gave up on this you know, insane drive that I had to be thin. It, that was the only goal I had was like, I just want to be skinny. Um, and that had its own, you know, downfalls to it because then I just gained a bunch of weight. And, you know, when you go from one extreme to the other, there was a lot of emotional sort of stuff that I had to kind of deal with and process. So it was a journey. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a journey. I, I could imagine how frustrating it must have felt because it's so interesting to hear you say, well, isn't the goal here for me to be skinny? But when you started your modeling journey, your goal was to be the best of the best, to mm -hmm. work with the best of the best. So in your mind, to get to that goal, you had to be small. But when you took a step back, and you looked at where you really wanted to go and you got this feedback, you were, I mean, understandably shook. Totally, completely. Like I was just so defeated, you know, you just think you're doing all the right things and it just did not turn out to be that way. And if anything, people were encouraging me to return to like 
how I was when I started, which was like a very healthy size six athletic girl. You know, I didn't look like other models. I will say, especially, you know, I started modeling in 2009 and the trend then was waif, very, very thin, like Eastern European, you know, six foot. It was, it was a, a mold, a cookie cutter, like models looked one way and one way only. So I think I was kind of like, well, I got to make myself look like that because that's how everyone else looks. I felt so different and I was different. You know, I didn't look like that. So when you started to learn how to get better at being in your own body, how your body is supposed to be, talk to me about the mental transition there, because I would expect that that would come with its fair share of hurdles as well. Yeah, I know. I remember after that, when I kind of hit that breaking point, I went home for like six months back to my parents' house. Granted, I was still only like 18 or maybe I was 19 at that point, but I was fried. I was burnt out. Like, I think I just felt so defeated and down and didn't know if this was even the right direction for me. I was doubting a lot. And I went home and I gained quite a bit of weight and I wanted to hide. I didn't want to be seen. I definitely didn't want to model. So that was in the super strange in-between space where I wasn't in college and I wasn't modeling. And I was very sad. I was very, very sad and very, very lost. And I do remember having this kind of conversation with my agency at the time. I kind of had a moment where they were kind of pushing me, you know, to get back to where I was or to lose weight. You know, there, there was always pressure to lose weight, to be a certain size, you know, check your measurements, like, where are you at? And I just remember I had this breaking point with them where I was like, listen, from here on is either take it or leave it. I just can't stay on this hamster wheel. It's, it's not even because I don't want to, it's not even possible for me to be consistently this one size that I need to be. So from now on, you know, I want you to be honest about my measurements with clients. I want you to be honest about my Polaroids. You know, if people are interested, they'll, I hope that they'll make it work. And like, that's it for me now. I just don't want to hear it anymore about like losing weight. I just like, I don't want to hear it. And it was just totally bizarre because like things kind of like took off for me shortly after that. I don't know if it was like, I just put it out into the universe that I was kind of like, this is it. And I'm sick of fighting it. I don't want to do that anymore. And then after that, and I also, you know, found an agent who really represented me and like understood me at the time and was like, I'm here with that. I'm here for you. Like, we'll make it work. And who wants to make it work will. And that ended up happening like very quickly. And I started getting or having the career that I always dreamed of. Yeah. And I think during that point, when you get to this place where you're like, this is who I am, like that must have been such a freeing moment for you. Oh my God. It really was like, I was just like, I think I just put faith into the universe that if someone wants to work with me, they will, and they'll make it work and they'll be excited to do so. Um, and stop focusing on all the people who don't want to work with me or will work with, with me under certain circumstances. And like, I was, it was just too exhausting. So yeah, it was definitely like a really great moment where I felt like I found my footing and like my confidence. And I, looking back, I'm like, listen, I was still only like 19 years old then 20 years old, maybe when I'm starting to like really come to these like more confident moments in my life that's still young. It was, it was difficult to, to do that for me. Yeah. And I mean, how applicable is this to so much other stuff in life, right? Like just this idea that we always want the thing that doesn't want us back. 
Totally. And then it's hard to it's hard to let go or give yourself to a thing or a person that treats you with respect and values you. And how messed up is that? Exactly. Totally. It was like I was just I felt like I was fighting something. You know, I was like going against the current, you know, I like as opposed to just being like, all right, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. And it's OK. And in fact, it like may be exactly what it needs to be. Um, so yeah. Okay. So we're finally at a place where we feel more confident with the direction of where our career is going. I'm talking about this, like we're just in this hand (laughs) in hand here and you were at this better place with where you were going with your career. Did you feel that the people that you were working with really started to accept you for this version of yourself? Or did you still feel a little bit conflicted in that? Oh, I mean, I definitely still felt conflicted in moments. There were absolutely people who celebrated me, were excited to do so and wanted to work with me, which was great. But I still had many moments where I would go to jobs or show up and people would be very upset, like think that I wasn't what they expected or I didn't fit the clothes. I that happened many times. But And that was always like really hard, a hard pill to swallow because it's just uncomfortable and you're wasting people's time and energy and money just by being you. Like you're like, I'm sorry, like I don't know what to say or what to do. Um, So I I still had and have moments like that, though, up until like before the pandemic, like where I was working and traveling all the time, like that still happens. Yeah. My point is that you're not going to be a person for everyone. And, you know, I would always, when I was younger, think like all these people are mad at me. They're upset with me. They're disappointed in me. And I just couldn't stand that. It just like sent me over the edge. I just felt so guilty and so horrible, but yes, it makes people's lives more difficult or complicated, but you're not like a bad person or like, you know, this isn't like the world is not against you. They might be mad at a situation or whatever it may be, but it's not like all your fault because you're yeah. like a size six. Oh my God. I'm just like sitting here shaking my head because I don't even, I can't even fathom dealing with one of those situations when someone looks at you and they're just like, no. And I would imagine that that had happened to you, not just like when you walk down the street for a casting, like you travel so much for your job. Oh yeah. I would travel very far distances and show up and sometimes not fit the clothes and get sent home like that day. Like they would literally be like, oh, it's not working out. Like you don't fit the clothes. It's not what we expected. And that was just so tough. Like I can't even lie. Like I would definitely cry. And like feel really bad about myself and just think about all the time and energy that was wasted on my side and their side. Um, But then I would just be like, I have to move forward. Like I can't, what am I supposed to do? Like cry about my jean size all day long for how long? Like, it's like, it is, I can't do anything about it right now. Yeah. And I mean, in those moments when you're in that difficult headspace and sometimes that negative headspace, how have you learned to pull yourself out of that? Yeah, I think for myself, I, I, it's like a, a series of steps because I always need to let myself feel the feelings. I'm like, I'm a Pisces. Like if I need to cry or let it out or whatever it is, I do allow myself to feel the feelings. But I also always have this moment where I'm like, okay, the only person who can turn this ship around is me. Like, and if I just continue speaking to myself in a negative way or being like, you know what, you are 
you know, you are fat or you should have ate less or you could have worked out more or you could have prepped more, like you could be more hardworking. I'm like, this is not helpful. You know, let's try to integrate and bring in more positive thoughts and more positive point of view. Like what kind of actions can I take right now that will make me feel better? But I do think like when you're in those moments, I've learned that I kind of have to take responsibility for turning it around. Like, because you know, the meanest person I interact with or is myself because I have like negative thoughts and like those negative voices that you do have to be like, okay, like, how do I, how do I turn this around? Taking a break from today's episode to talk to you about a newer sponsor to the show, Super Coffee. First of all, great name. Am I right? (laughs) Now, I know that you all know that I take my caffeinating seriously. I start every single day off with just a little bit of espresso, and then I dabble in a cup of coffee come around 9 a.m. when I'm ready to get to business and sit down at my desk. But come around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I am always on the prowl for like the right thing to help me bring home my day. And that, my friends, is where super coffee comes in the clutch. Admittedly, I was in a kick of popping downstairs to my local bodega or heading over to the local coffee shop on the next block to either buy a Diet Coke or something like an iced tea or a matcha or a chai latte. But I realized that with time, these drinks, they weren't making me feel better. In fact, I was feeling a little bit of that like post-sip sugar crash situation. This is why I love super coffee because not only does it give me the energy I need, but it's also got 10 grams of protein, no added sugar, and MCT oil. So it's that perfect combination of protein and fats to make me feel good to take home the day. No surprise here, I have an exclusive deal for Hurdle listeners. Get 25% off your entire first purchase by heading over to drinksupercoffee.com slash hurdle and using the code hurdle at checkout. Super Coffee has a 60-day money-back guarantee, meaning if you don't love it, you get your money back. Available nationwide at over 25,000 stores, including Target and Whole Foods, Walmart, Kroger, and CVS. Trust me, this stuff is delicious. Head on over to drinksupercoffee.com slash hurdle and use code hurdle at checkout for 25% off your entire first purchase. Also want to give some love to my sponsor at Element, L-M-N-T. Element makes a science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. I have tried my fair share of electrolytes over the years as I have trained for marathons and navigated long, long bike rides. And Element has been my favorite to date. Strong. I know, that's saying a lot. The formula is super high caliber. It is plant-based with no fillers, no sugars, gluten, or other sketchy ingredients. And I love their flavors. Now, I'm a salty sweater. Cute. I know. (laughs) So this salty sip with the right amount of citrus in my go-to flavors, it not only tastes delicious, but it fuels me to go after my goals. Now they're giving it away for free. I'm not even making this up. Get a free Element sample pack, which includes eight packets of Element for just $5 shipping. Head on over to drinkelement.com slash hurdle. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash hurdle to get yours today.
Talk to me about, do you remember when you felt as though you had quote unquote made it? Um, I, yeah, I do. I like, I remember I was shooting this commercial for Aqua de Joya, this fragrance for Armani that was like, you know, one of the biggest jobs that I've ever done. It's still what people recognize me for to this day. And then like, while I was on set, I got a phone call and someone was like, oh, my agent at the time was like, oh, you just got booked for the cover of French Vogue. Like while I was on this set and I was like, oh my God, like all of the things that I like could have ever dreamed of. Like I'm shooting this massive commercial for this like huge brand. Like what a dream. I just found out I got booked for the cover of French Vogue. Like, you know, things just like when it rains, it pours kind of like, I was just like, wow, this is what I always dreamed of and it's happening. And it's happening. So when was that? That was like 2010. Oh my God. So we've been at this for a minute. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, now it's like 12 years that I've been doing this. So that's crazy. (laughs) That is actually crazy. So when do you leave the small studio uh, near Greenwich Village and like start to upgrade? Because I feel like there has to be like a natural glam upgrade story here. There was totally an upgrade. Yeah, I went from like a very small dark studio where I like slept above my kitchen. And then I moved into like a really nice building with like floor to ceiling windows the following year, like in the Lower East Side. And I was kind of like, all right, this is better for my mental and spiritual health. I feel a lot better, a little more settled for sure. I'm I'm channeling floor to ceiling windows for my move within the next two months. Yeah. So it's coming. It's coming. coming. Everyone deserves a floor to ceiling window moment. Okay. So 2011, we're like, we're not doing so bad. Yeah. It kind of turned around. It really did. You're shooting with Armani. You're going to be on French Vogue. You're you're kind of grinding it out. You're going through all the motions. Do you get to a place as the jobs keep coming in where you start to ask yourself, what's next? <sighs> oh, yes. That conversation, that what's next though, was like this dooming question from the minute I started modeling. That's the first thing that people like literally ask you as a model because people are like, you know, this only lasts for so long. Like that would literally be the first thing that people would say to me when I was a teenager and I chose this career, they would be like, you know, this only lasts for so long. Like you can only do this for X many years. Like, what are you going to do after this? Like, what's your plan? Are you going to go back to college? Like it would always be this like looming question. And, you know, rightfully so it is a legitimate question because, you know, a lot of models do only last, I mean, 10 years less than that. A lot of people only last a few seasons. So it was always kind of like this dooming question for me, but it started feeling less of like this burden or fear for me, like four years or so ago, for sure. Cause I felt wow. a little more four solid. years ago. So four years ago, is that when you started to think about Covey? No, actually, like what came first was like starting to focus more on my social channels, weirdly, like, you know, I had reached this point in my career where that was all going fine and dandy, but I did feel like I was kind of at this weird point where I I wanted more and felt like I had more to offer. And I finally felt ready to take a step in figuring out like, how can I actually do that? And so that's when I kind of started focusing on my YouTube channel, my Instagram. Like I was like, I want to create content and I want to share what I have to say with the world. Um, And once I started having that control or created that agency for myself, it kind of like tumbleweeded into more things and opportunities outside of just like 
being a model, like showing up for a job and then like going home, which are, were always just like very transactional, like one or two days, the job is done. And then you just wait for the next one. I felt ready to start like building my social presence and like my personal brand, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, modeling involves so much of you putting yourself out there, but kind of just being open to people judging your body. Now, when you go into the content creation space and you're starting to have a personality or be a little bit more vocal about who it is that you are, talk to me about the challenges that went hand in hand with that. I definitely, it definitely felt more, vo- I felt, I definitely felt more vulnerable when I started creating content and putting it on the internet, because yeah, exactly. Like you said, people are no longer judging you for the way that you look and your pant size. They're actually seeing your personality and deciding if they like you or not, or like who you are or what you have to say. So there was definitely more pressure there. And I remember when I first started like my YouTube channel, a lot of people in my industry would be like, Oh my God, like you're so brave. Like yikes, like, how are you doing that? Or like making that work? Meanwhile, like two years later, these are the exact people who are like, Hey, like, do you have any tips for me? Like, I think I'm going to start one like too funny. Um, but yes, I've definitely like gotten like negative comments, but it's actually like part of what sparked Covey and like this other journey that I'm now on. So it worked out, but it's, it never gets easy. Like I still get negative comments and I click on the person. I'm like, who are you? Like, where are you in the world? Like, what's your story? Why are you commenting this? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I can totally relate to this. I feel like whether you have five followers or millions of followers, it's always, you know, a struggle to open yourself up and, and understand kind of back to that idea. Like we always, it's so easy to focus on the negative side of things, right? It's so easy to focus on the one person that you quote unquote, weren't good enough for you rub the wrong way instead of the, you know, long, lengthy scroll of the people that are like, this is awesome. You're amazing. I love what you're saying. Give me that blazer. Like I get it. So (laughs) it's tough. It's tough. Secondly, so then take me down the path now of where Covey comes from. Yeah. So Covey, what happened with Covey was like, I started creating content on my social channels. I loved doing beauty content. Um, I loved beauty in general. And like skincare was something that was like obviously super important for me and my job. So I had a lot of fun sharing my routines and what I was doing and what products I was loving and all of that. But funny enough, I did this video for Harper's Bazaar, one of their Get Unready With Me videos that are like, they're like very famous for. And I shared my routine. And it was, I thought, perfect, elaborate, many steps. I was doing all the things, using all the actives. Like, I just thought, you know, I was going to blow them out of the water. But anyway, when they posted it on their channel, people came for me in the comments. Like, all of the comments were literally like, this is the most whack routine I've ever seen in my life. Like, you're not supposed to pair those two products together. That's not how you're supposed to layer your skincare. You're using too many products. You're doing this. And I remember being like, I am someone who has a background. I have access to many experts, you know, in my industry. I have a passion for this. I love skincare, but apparently I'm doing it all wrong. Like if I feel this way, I can't be the only person who feels that way. Like what is the perfect skincare routine? Like what is the ultimate routine then? Somebody tell me. And I went down a rabbit hole, you know, myself and my business partner, Christina, I went down all of these communities on Reddit, like skincare addiction. And I saw also on Twitter, that people were asking the same questions that I was asking, which was what 
things do you need in your skincare routine? What are the most effective products that you need? What order do you use them in? And do they work together? Everyone was asking these questions like, what goes first? What goes next? Can I pair this and this together? Like, how does this work? So I basically confirmed, I was like, everyone's asking the exact same questions. Like, where is it laid out in a super simple, effective, like, this is how your skincare routine should work. Here are the products that you need. And I couldn't find it. And, you know, along with that, I also went through over 2000 comments on my YouTube channel, seeing what everyone had to say about skincare there. Um, so I really leaned into my social channels and my community, like, and also negative comments that kind of helped like create this, this idea. <laughs> Just finally taking that negativity and making a positive influence here. <laughs> exactly. Took us a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the next logical question for someone that would have a similar thought, like, man, I would love to do something like this. Like, where does one even start with that? Because that hurdle is what holds so many people back. Yeah. I mean, what started first for myself was, like I said, doing all of that research. Like I was not shy about going through all of the comments, direct messages, everything that had to do with skincare on my social channels, on other skincare communities you know, making sure you really do your research and figure out like, what are the questions that people are asking? What are they confused about? Like the internet will tell you there's plenty of people, you know, talking about and asking those questions. Um, and then in terms of the products and what we wanted to create, first of all, we partnered with a dermatologist, which was helpful. She really helped us figure out like the key products, the key ingredients that were effective backed by the latest research and science. Um, but then we also used all of the reviews of top selling products on top retailers. And we went through over 500,000 reviews and we figured out what people were complaining about, what they didn't like, what they wanted from their skincare. And we really figured out like you know, what did people actually want out of their skincare? Um, and then we figured out with our derm, you know, what are those key three products and started from there. Wow. So yeah, it was a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs> and like a few years in the making. I mean, you said you started this journey, what, three years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took a really, really long time because then when we, you know, found a lab that aligned with us and kind of what we wanted these products to be, what we wanted to have in the products and not have in the products, you know, then we had to do a ton of testing. So we did over 12 iterations of each of the products and tested them on over 150 people. So getting all that data back, figuring out, did people like it? How did it work with their skin? You know, we really tried to do all of those things to make sure it worked across all skin types and skin concerns. I'd love to double click for a second on the idea of just getting started with your skincare yeah. routine, because I think that's something with that so many uh, women struggle with. So for mm -hmm. you, when you just got started with your skincare routine, were there like one or two things that you really focused in on that you felt made a major difference for you? Meaning like pre-Covey, just generally like, yeah, um, I would say what even before we started Covey was pairing the products back, meaning not using so many things. Like I thought I needed way more than I did. Um, and I would also say that consistency really made a difference for me. I think, I mean, I know a lot of people probably go through this, but I would go through moments where I was doing all the things layering on all the skincare, like, you know, stripping my skin probably like crazy. And then I would go through spouts where I like wasn't taking off my makeup before I went to bed. It's like pick a lane, you know, like, but I knew that when I was consistent and used like simple products that like were worked well, um, that was when I started to like really see a difference in my skin and still to this day. 
Yeah, yeah, I know. The taking off the makeup before bed thing. Like, if you do nothing else, that has been the one lane that I have been successful in so far. And admittedly, that's a big step from, you know, what I used to do, which would be not do that. I'd just be like, oh, I'm too tired for this. You're too tired for 30 seconds of a makeup wipe and some some soap and some water and, like, call it a day. I I guess this is what they call adulting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) What I'd love to home in on right now is talk to me about your last year. Talk to me about what life has been like for you in the pandemic, because obviously Covey recently launched, but everything shifted a year ago. Mm -hmm. So how did that impact you first personally? And then we'll kind of bring it back to the brand side. Personally, like, and professionally, my life changed so much because I was used to like literally being in a different country like every other week. I was traveling constantly before the pandemic for work. So that in the beginning, like most things, completely shut down. And that was super strange. And at first I really liked being in one place for an extended period of time. I won't lie because I was always away. You know, I had just gotten married like a year prior. Like I was like, oh my God, this is the first time ever we're like in the same place for an extended period of time and enjoying that. But, you know, then brands started asking me to shoot content for them. So I was literally getting like racks and racks clothes like delivered to me wherever I was. And I was like shooting catalogs myself, like doing that which was interesting and kind of fun because I really had to test like all of my skills, like shooting, art direction, hair, makeup. Like I was doing it all and I was kind of like, I can do this. Just let me figure this out. Um, So then I went through that phase, but I think creating content for brands became a trend and something that like I kind of was open to very much so. Um, And then things really started heating up with Covey, like, you know, six months ago, seven months ago, and we're like, oh my God, we're like really, really close to our launch date. Like this is really happening. And then I was purely focusing on all of that and getting things ready for that. Wow. And so now are you at the point where you are going back into studios? Are you shooting more? Like what has started to happen for you as the world is kind of starting to get back to where it used to be? Yeah, I definitely feel it starting to come back. So yes, the options, meaning like jobs are starting to roll in again. And, you know, I think we're finding our new normal, meaning like people are getting tested before going to work, like everyone has to get tested and to shoot and to do all of that. Travel jobs are kind of starting to pop back up again. Like I can definitely see the light at the end of the tunnel a little bit, but it's definitely with, you know, being cautious and doing the right thing. Yeah, I got my first invite yesterday for a media trip to go to California. And in my mind, it's so interesting. I mean, I used to, like you, I used to travel all the time and I would get those trip invites like two a day. And it's just so interesting to me to see where everyone's head is at and, you know, what are certain brands thinking of requiring to do for something like this? And who are the brands that are like, we should do something like this? And who are the brands that are like, we will not do this ever again. So yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see like what's going to happen from here on out. I'll be very, very curious. Yeah. Like even with like events and like gatherings and all of that, like, it'll be interesting to see like what direction brands and people go in because now we've all gotten really used to doing everything remote. So right. 
right? And the yeah. budgets are shifting as well. So like, is totally. it smart to have this budget? Like, why why are we bringing these people here if we can do this in this different way? It just has completely changed the way that we think about how we used to go about absolutely everything. Where do you miss traveling to the most? That's a good question. Honestly, I think like Europe, Paris, London, you know, the places where like, honestly, years ago, I didn't love traveling there because I would always only be there for like a day and a half and like would go home. And I'd always be like, oh, like I have to go to Paris again for like one day. But now I'm like, oh, I would love to go to Paris for like one day right now and like go get a croissant and like walk around like and then go back to New York. It would be pretty great. (laughs) Would be pretty, pretty great. Okay, so at the top of this episode, I talked to you about how uh, I know that my girlfriend Kara is totally fangirling over this episode. Do you remember? when you had a moment where you first kind of fangirled over somebody else that you were in the same space with? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I think like, honestly, when I first started doing Maybelline, I've been with them for a really long time and Adriana Lima was one of the other models. I mean, I grew up looking at her for as long as I can remember, like in Victoria's Secret and in Maybelline. And then I was just like shooting next to her and I remember being like, this is very strange. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was definitely one of the moments where I was kind of like, wow, I can't believe I'm working with people like this, like that I'm even at this level, like this is nuts. And in your career, I mean, again, you've been such an established model in this space for so long. Over the last, you know, 12, 14 years of being such an active uh, player in this space, what has been uh, one of the, and I'm sure there are so many, but the greatest lessons that you have learned in this journey? Greatest lessons that I have learned. I think because I spent so many years, like as a model, people tell you how to look, how to dress, how to talk you know, how to be. And I kind of got very used to just taking direction and not giving input, not really taking control myself. I feel like one of the biggest lessons that I learned is like, if you want to do something like a, you can, and you're pretty much the only person who can do that for yourself. Like to kind of just take control, take the reins a bit more. Like if you want to get something done, like start with yourself doing it. You know, even when I first started creating content, I remember I felt really overwhelmed. Like I need a videographer and an editor and a this and a that. And it's like, actually, no, you can do all of that. You just have to figure it out and do it yourself for a bit. And then maybe you can graduate, but like, why don't you just start with you? (laughs) You've obviously graduated now. Sometimes, but no, not always. Like in terms of that side of things, like creating content for myself and now even for Covey, like creating ads and like some of the stuff that I'm doing now, I just do it myself sometimes. A, because I really like that part of the process. It's like so cathartic for me. I love editing. I love putting things together even more than I like being in front of the camera, which was shocking for me to find out. I didn't realize that. I was like, wow, I actually really like sitting in front of a computer screen for 16 hours, like editing a video. This is so fun, (laughs) actually. Um, But yeah, I would say that's one of the main lessons that I learned. But I think also like to keep pushing forward is something that I always tell myself consistently. And that sounds really simple, but I feel like, you know, you have moments where you're uncomfortable or self-doubting or something didn't come out perfectly, whatever it is, but it's like, stop dwelling on that. Like just keep moving forward and keep moving things forward in the direction that you want to go. 
Love that piece of advice. Right now, people look at your Instagram or see you in an advertisement. They see a woman that is obviously stunning and also on social has more than 2.2 million followers. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Oh my God, that's a really good question. It depends on the day. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I, and especially lately, look in the mirror and I'm like, I feel so proud of myself. Like, I'm just like, wow, I'm so different than what, like, I try to reflect on who I was like five or six years ago when I felt so confused and lost and felt like I didn't have purpose. And now I am literally look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm everything I never thought I was going to be. Like, I'm like engaged. I'm interested. I'm being challenged. I'm trying new things. Like, I feel excited about what I'm working on. Like, I'm like, go you, like, I'm so proud. But then sometimes when I look in the mirror, I think like, what the heck are you doing? Like, you don't actually know what you're doing. And are you even happy? And like, what's happening? It really depends. And then sometimes I just see like the kid in me that's just like, wow, like you're doing really cool stuff. Like, think about, you know, who you were when you were like, five or six years old and like where you grew up and what you thought you were going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love those takeaways. It it brings me, I have this quote board on my wall that says, remember when you wanted what you have now. And I go back to that all the time because please, like we've talked about the apartment search, like I dream, I think you just constantly are in a place where you're hoping to level up, right? It's Mm -hmm. like you get to this one thing and you're like, okay, but what's next? You get to this one thing and then you're like, okay, but what's next? And what's so important Mm -hmm. and something I have certainly learned along the way is to like make sure to take a moment and take pause because you have to celebrate the the hurdles that you've jumped and the progress that you've made to get to this point right here, right now. And it may not be, you know, the top of the mountain, Mm -hmm. but it's really freaking dope that you got to a place where you're like on the journey and you're on your way up. Exactly. Taking that moment for like self-reflection is super important. And it's hard though, living in a place like New York, plus with social media, you're always kind of focused at what's everyone else doing, but like taking a moment to look inward is important. We talked earlier about the struggles you had dealing with your size and then getting to a place where you felt really comfortable in your own body. For someone that can share those sentiments, for someone that is struggling to getting to a place where they do feel at home in their body, what piece of advice would you offer to them? Like one of the key things for myself was that how I looked that morning or how I thought I looked or the number on the scale or how my pants fit would literally, you know, change my mood and how I approached the entire day. I gave so much power to that part of me, to the way that I looked. And I think my piece of advice would be that if you find yourself kind of spiraling or getting really focused or down on how you look and letting it impact you in these really intense ways to maybe not focus so much on like making those thoughts or those habits stop. For me, what made a really big difference was like, what new things can I focus on instead of this? You know, what can I bring into my life that will take, you know, so much of the focus off of like how I look today? What else can I focus on? Filling my life with like other things that challenged me, engaged me, you know, occupied my time and my energy made a really big difference. And it kind of allowed me to naturally shift away from being like, what do I look like today? What, how do my pants fit? Like what's going on there? Like 
I think when you're in those zones where you're so hyper aware of your body, like the only way to get away from that is to like fill your life and your thoughts with other things. But I know it's easier said than done. Oh, totally. And something we didn't even touch on was how you were moving your body over, you know, the past 10 or 12 years. Just give me like a sneak peek a little bit into how you do that on a regular basis and maybe what that evolution has looked like. Meaning like how my relationship with working out and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think like many women, you know, I, when I first started working out and I was in more of that unhealthy stage of my life, all I did was cardio. I was obsessed with cardio hours of it, like until I was so drained, I had to take a nap in the afternoon. And I kind of approached exercise like that until like 2014, 2015. Like I just would do like at least 90 minutes of cardio. Like every day I thought that was it. And like, also as a model, like I didn't do anything else because people would always scare you and say like, if you lift weights, you're going to get muscle and that's going to look bad. And you're going to look bulky and manly and like muscles are bad. So like for so long, I like totally stayed away from anything like that, which I regret so much, which was so silly. Um, and then I actually met my husband and he kind of introduced me to lifting weights, which I was terrified to do at first. And then I absolutely loved it. Like it totally changed my body. It changed how I felt about my body. And now like lifting weights and like not even doing that much cardio is more so where I find, I found my happy place. How'd you meet your husband? So I met Kyle on a flight from New York to Colorado. Oh, <laughs> It's just every time I, I love to ask people this because I'm just still hunting for my life partner. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe the next flight, maybe the <laughs> next bar, anywhere. maybe the next time I go for a run, like something's gotta happen here. They're out there. They are. Oh, they are. I know they are. What excites you right now? Oh man. What excites me right now is building Covey and like, I just have so much fun waking up and thinking like, what can I do for my like new baby business today. Like it's just so fun and there's endless things to do, but it doesn't feel like a burdening to-do list. It's like all these opportunities and fun things to tap into and new things to learn and new ways to approach things. So that's for sure what excites me right now. All right, final question. You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself a piece of advice looking back on the hurdle moment when you were eating the apples and running yourself into the (laughs) ground and seemingly not all that happy. You have an opportunity right now to offer yourself some words of wisdom. What are they? I think that they would be to stop being so hard on yourself. Like you have to be kind to yourself. I know that sounds so generic, but it's like, I think we are all our toughest critics. You know, we speak to ourselves in a way that we would never speak to anyone else, like a friend, a family member. And I think at those times, all I did was beat myself up and like wonder why I was so sad and like felt so out of sorts. So I think the main key thing would be like, you need to find ways to be kinder to yourself, like mentally, physically, and emotionally. Love that. Um, Thanks so much for your time today. This was so fun. Yeah. Of course. This was so fun. I felt like, you know, really going back down memory lane. Like even now when you revisit those moments, I'm like, gosh, like I've processed this even more since the last time I've talked about this. Oh, for sure. For sure. Tell me, tell the hurdlers, how do they keep up with you? How do they stay in the loop with you? Where do they go on YouTube? Give me all the details. 
Yeah. So my YouTube channel, Emily DiDonato, Instagram, Emily DiDonato, TikTok, if you want, DiDonato, Emily, um, I'm all over. <laughs> Is there an Emily DiDonato on TikTok? That's not you? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Doesn't she know? No offense. No offense, other Emily DiDonato. <laughs> But we were just looking for consistency over here. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle, Cockard. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>